heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on this Friday morning, the 5th of May. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI on Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. It's Friday morning. It's Magic Ground Weekend in Brisbane where the Rugby League world transcends all to Brisbane. We'll get to that and so much more. Susan McDonald joins us. We'll talk with Kim McDonald from Thankful for Farmers, uh, an amazing charity, and so much more. It's a big show for you. It's Friday morning, the 5th of May, on Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin, and you can get in contact with me anytime you like, ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. Spotify is where you'll find our show, Ben Dobbin at Rural Queensland Today. Let's get into it. Big show for you, Rural Queensland Today, across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Senator Susan McDonald joins us next. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today, Friday morning, the 5th of May, and Senator Susan McDonald, a regular on the show, joins us this morning, and she had a pretty special day. Um, sanity prevailed yesterday, uh, and she joins us this morning. Senator, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, good morning, Ben. Terrific week, magic round. Uh, but yes, yesterday I was delighted to be at the reopening of the Burton Mine just outside Moranbar. It's a triumph of the practical nature of, uh, um, of well, this company, um, the Bowen Coking Coal Company, and filling the demand for uh, energy and uh, metallurgical coal around the world. Uh, despite what the naysayers say, we still have to continue making steel. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's great for this community. There is people who... Uh, you know, Moranbar is a fantastic uh, region, both agriculture and mining. There are a lot of families that are supported by uh, by cattle and by uh, coal in this country, and I think it was just terrific to see a positive note rather than the negative ones, which is what we mostly hear. Can I ask you this, and I, and I and I mean it in all sincerity, though. I mean, this is one case we, we've seen countless stupid acts from a Labor government um, and. An environmental minister and Tanya Plibersek, you know, to all these things of shutting down and, and not passing mines. Why was this one so different? Oh, well, that's an excellent question, Ben. Uh, it's different because the, the investment decision was made before all of the, you know, the, the unconsulted uh, world's highest coal royalties were introduced in Queensland. Uh, it was before the intervention in the market that has really undermined sovereign risk from the federal Labor government. Uh, so this mining decision uh, was uh, to to reopen the mine was made a couple of years ago. They've stayed true to their commitment and rolled through uh, because metallurgical coal, uh, I mean thermal coal, energy coal is really important as well, but metallurgical coal ensures that we have steel. And despite what uh, people might say about, you know, green coal, uh, green steel, uh, it is still so far away we can't see it. The cost is prohibitive, uh, but at the moment, if, if what you have in your hand is not made of steel, it was made in a factory made with steel. Uh, before you owned it, it was mined. Yes. You know, this is these are all elements about steel is such a critical part of our society, whether it's the building you live in, the car that you drive in, 
um, you know, probably probably the, the the poly pipe that you're that you're um, using in your field, or the or the medical plastics, all made in in something generated with steel. And it is critical that Australia continues to provide the world's cleanest coal to do this, because in the absence of that, three things happen. Three things happen, which is Australia loses well-paid jobs. Australia loses. Uh, great company taxes and royalties when we don't mine our own coal. The second thing is, is that when we don't supply these important uh, elements, the world has got to go and find it somewhere else. And that destabilizes the geopolitical region that we live in. And the third thing, and this is the bit that I think environmentalists and activists need to listen to, is that when Australia doesn't provide its cleanest coal, its lowest emissions coal that is mined on the planet, when Australia doesn't do that, it must come from somewhere else because there's no replacement to metallurgical coal for making steel. It has to come from somewhere else and it increases world emissions. Yeah, well, that's all. I, I get all of that. But here's, here's the other thing. We've literally in the Courier Mail yesterday, Matthew Killeran wrote this article but and, th- and we've spoken um, with – uh, Queensland Resource Council Chief Executive Ian McFarlane, and he, he believes that because of the Queensland controversial royalty hikes, and we've had him on this show, that are now going to reap six times more than it was forecasted when the government raised the rates, that regional communities are now at risk. And so I know yesterday you're in Murrumbah, but the bigger picture at play is because of this unbelievable $5 billion cash grab from the state government of Queensland that there are companies literally, literally moving out. Now, he was in Moorumbah. Um, there are lobby groups everywhere trying to stop this, but the data from the chief economist, Corley Report, estimated that the current coal boom would mean a $5 billion in additional royalties in the financial year. Now, that should be alarm bells because – there's no way that that's going to continue in this state, which puts all the regions at risk. Well, that's exactly right, Ben, because what the the attack on uh, the royalty regime in Queensland uh, has done, as well as uh, the federal Labor government intervening in the, in the gas market, is that it has meant that when investment boards are making decisions about where to invest billions, billions of dollars, of mum and dad investors, of our super funds, of wherever else they've got their funding from, when they're making that decision, they are now saying Australia is unreliable. We're not sure about Australia's new environmental laws because of the introduction of new EDO. We are seeing Australia pull in approved projects through the EPBC. Uh, we have now got so much uncertainty Oh, and, and the new industrial relations laws that are coming through. This is now making it uncertain. Will we get a good return for our investors, for mum and dad who put money into super, uh, for, for people who bought shares? Will we be able to provide them a dividend? And if the answer to that is, is we're not sure, then they have to go to somewhere where they are sure. So Mexico, uh, America, um, Indonesia, they will go to to Russia and Iran for coal. They will go and gas. Wherever they Uh, can make and not pay as much. But there is a happy medium. There's no two ways. They're not saying they don't have to pay royalties and they don't want to, but the 
just the cash grab, you know, it, it, it's almost like, Susan, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, we care about the environment to a point, but if the money outweighs the environment, we're, we're going to take the money. I mean, they've got to fund these stadiums. They've got to do these cross-city rails. They're not putting money anywhere else. This is the only way out of the dark hole, and what it's going to do is kill the regions. Yeah, well, that's exactly right, Ben, because it is in the regions that uh, all these activities happen. That's where mining happens. It doesn't happen in the middle of Brisbane or Sydney no. or Melbourne, but a lot of the workforce comes from those places. But this, the, the mines in this region alone of the, of the Moorumbah region, um, there is data from John Rolfe at CQ University that clearly shows where the money sticks, 46 cents in every dollar uh, of income earned from, from mines in this region stick in Brisbane. So if Brisbane thinks that closing coal mines in Moorumbah is a good idea, well, it will cost. It will cost in the new roads and new schools. It will cost in whether or not people can afford to have lots of money to be going out to be uh, eating out at meals, going to the football. This is the value of Queensland's resources sector uh, and we should hold on to it because it is what transformed Queensland in the 1950s and 60s to being the powerhouse state that it is. And when we tax it out of existence, when we say we don't really want you here, we are going to make it more expensive for you to operate here, we're going to keep changing the rules, we're not even going to send. So can you believe reopening a mine that will employ hundreds of Queenslanders support hundreds of families, small businesses, and pay royalties and taxes. The Premier uh, wasn't there yesterday. Um, they, they, they weren't Disgusting. prepared to... Yep, exactly. They'll march on, on Labor Day, though. They'll march. We're going to take a break. Senator Susan McDonald joining us this morning, Friday morning, the 5th of May. We'll take a break, come back with more. Senator Susan McDonald joining me this morning, Ben Dobbin on Rural Queensland today. It's Friday morning, the 5th of May. And Senator, you, you touched on something um, that she wasn't there um, at, at the opening at Moorumbah. That doesn't surprise me. But what, what they haven't been able to do is get a decent legislation um, in place about crocodiles. Now, we saw the tragedy of another death um, in far north Queensland last week and they have gone since and um, destroyed two crocs um, and found body parts in these crocodiles. So that, that clearly that this was preventable in a lot of ways and the, uh, I suppose the far left that are saying that they are still an endangered species, you know, is clearly wrong. Now, I know sometimes um, Bob Carter can be of extreme um, and I understand that, but there has been a long, long time that they says there needs to be some culling of crocodiles to try and get them under managed, you know, conditions. And at what point does a human life not come into play? There, there, there is an issue in this area, and it affects a lot of people in North Queensland. Well, Ben, that is exactly right. Uh, right across Northern Australia, but particularly North Queensland, where there are now crocodiles in places that they haven't been um, for, you know, in living history. Never seen uh, before. Living memory. Yeah. That's right. They're, they're, and they're acting aggressively because this is a territorial species. And as there is pressure and uh, growth in the population, uh, they act territorially and they move out to find new areas. So they're not confined 
uh, to the places where people might like them to be out of sight and out of mind. Uh, they're in every waterway, they're in every waterhole um, and, you know, big. So, you know, I'm sorry to say for this, this terrible uh, tragedy for this fellow who was lost uh, recently, there were remains found in one crocodile, not the other, but they, they believe that the, the crocodiles were, um, were, were both involved. I think that this is an example of how do we possibly get to a situation where we're prepared to euthanize, euthanize animals after an attack, but not prepared to proactively manage them beforehand. We, every river system is full of animals that are now dangerous. It is amazing that we are now prepared to euthanize animals after they've killed a human, but not beforehand. Why can't we start having a program where we are actively going through river systems and creeks and gullies uh, because there are crocodiles in places where they're interacting with humans. It is ending badly. And this is not about, uh, you know, a human was out in the water and, and, you know, they're in their territory, what we say about sharks. This is people on riverbanks. This is people, you know, just going about normal recreational activities and being attacked, I, I, I'm really concerned. I think it is, well, it is ending in tragedy. How many more lives will have to be lost uh, before we start taking this seriously? Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I think that moving forward, that that is something that we all, and I mean that, we all are concerned about. Um, the immigration issue is, well, I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago and it keeps on festering, but it's it's very real now. The housing shortage in Queensland is very well known. We're now looking at, you know, uh, a potential increase of, of, of hundreds of thousands of people moving to Australia. We don't have enough homes. Um, the homeless rate is up. It, it, is, it is quite concerning, Senator. It absolutely is, Ben. And there's a, you know, we know that this is a complex issue. We know that uh, we've got high insurance, which makes it hard for builders and developers to commit to building homes. We know that you can't buy a fixed, uh, get a fixed house price in places like Mackay anymore. Uh, we know that we've got long-term um, state housing uh, filled with older people uh, where there are less people living in the house where previously there was a whole family. Um, you know, there, there is all sorts of pressures on housing. But to bring 715,000 people to Australia over the next two years through immigration um, will not just put additional pressure on housing, but it is driving up inflation and will drive up interest rates. Uh, I think this is, uh, we, we need more skills. We, we have a dramatic skill shortage right across the country, but we're not seeing the people who are coming through on immigration uh, improving that skill shortage. Yeah. We're not sorting the, seeing the sort of skilled migration that we need. So, you know, we have to be very clear that when Labor talks about bringing, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of new people to this country without somewhere for them to live, without the skills that we need in this country, uh, then they are just making it harder for us all to live through inflation increases, through interest rate increases uh, and, and greater pressure on housing and every other service that we have in this country. You know, I hope this budget that the, um, Jim Chalmers is bringing down next week is not as inflationary as I suspect it's going to be. He wants to spend a lot of money. He's spending every additional tax that we're getting through the, the resources boom that we're having at the moment. 
but I'm just not sure that it's been invested in the long-term uh, well-being of Australia, in new infrastructure, uh, uh, new hospitals and roads. There's $120 billion of infrastructure uh, that have been planned for under the coalition government that's now under review and will probably go. Uh, but at the same time, we'll see wages increases for frontline uh, workforces. Now, I, I am not saying that's not a good idea, but, you know, to keep increasing wages at the same time as putting upward pressure on inflation means that we just start to get into this same sp- upward spiral of costs and interest. Uh, I think it's very serious. And this Labor government is is taking any of the handbrakes off the economy. Um, immigration inflationary expense uh, increases. These are serious concerns that we have. And at the same time that Labor is sending every signal they can to the things that make us money, which is resources. They're saying, go away, don't come back. We want renewables. We don't want coal and gas. And let's hope they're not saying the same things to critical minerals uh, because that's what funds this country. That's what makes us the great place that we are. We've got hospitals and schools and, um, you know, we're investing in new technologies and, you know, space and all sorts of interesting things. But we can't do it if we send offshore the people who generate our taxes and our royalties that allow us to pay for them. It's very serious, Ben. This worries me more than anything else. And I'm afraid that the newspapers aren't reporting on it, Australians aren't thinking about it, and by the time uh, we come to an election to try and send a signal, it's going to be too late. I agree with you. It's a real worry as well and something that we're going to be concerned about. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much for your time this morning. We appreciate everything you do for us. Senator Susan MacDonald, um, as usual on a Friday, thank you so much for being with us. Look forward to talking to you next week, Ben. Thanks. See, see you later. Senator Susan MacDonald, this is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Friday morning, the 5th of May. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Let's have a look at a couple of market reports. And look, it has been an easing across the state. There was 2,250 head yarded um, for the annual Blackhall show sale um, that included 1,150 entries of show classes, and despite the exceptional quality of cattle, um, the overwhelming numbers across the state saw a major easing around 20 cents on average. Medium weight restocker steers, 368 cents to average 362, while the restockers sold to 356. Heavy feeders were the exception, they lifted five, mainly due to the quality, selling to 368. Restocker heifers, 280 to 330 kilos, uh, 286.2 to average 263. And medium feeders heifers uh, made from 276 to average 262 heavy feeders up to 268. Now, there was prime heifers. They made 298. Prime heifers averaging 292. A good run of heavy prime bullocks uh, took out to 322, mostly selling around 293 and the top price pen of cows 244 mostly around that 234 and obviously um and the, some live export orders saw bulls to 276 and processes selling to 270 but a major easing sam hart the reporter for uh mla and that market report that's off yesterday of the black Hole show sale now uh, talking to Matty Beard from Emerald, he said it, w- it was a tough market yesterday and there was no two, uh, 1,270 head yarded as well um, and he said it was a bit easier. His exact words in the text to me last night was tough on prime cattle ease by 20, stores and feeders um, 
you know, no change. So that seems to be the general consensus. Um, obviously, they had some good rot. There was 430 head vendors um, less, 1,270 head down, local area, cattle from everywhere, mixed conditions, and the competition came from restockers. Yearling steers to restockers average 375, the best of the light breads, uh, pens uh, to 280, an occasional sale to 469, medium weights steers to 367. So uh, that job has had a tough week. There's been a lot of cattle hit the market this week, and the short weeks haven't helped. Um, there's no two ways about that. And they've made things um, diff- difficult as well. So that 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 is the market's for the majority of the week. Um, another bang, bigger than this time. The NAB closes in the latest list of closures. Um, what a disgrace. I mean, National Australia Bank will be closing their Biggerton branch and the criticism from the North Burnett once again has gone nuts. 27th of July they've come out and said that. Um, they're saying 40% of the Biggerton customers had visited the branch only once in the last 12 months, 77% already using other branches. I mean, come on. Now... Margaret Stork is the North Burnett Regional Council CEO. Um, she's written to the banks. Banking services are vital in the regions. We've just heard this all too many times before, haven't we? Um, yeah, Colin Boyce is clearly upset about it um, and he's the member for Flynn and he, he knows. Gladstone, Tannum Sands, Mara, Billow, Theodore, Emerald, Springshaw, Capella, Mudabara, Jinjin, Gainda, Gracemere, Tarun, Wandai, Monto have all had bank branch closures over some period of time, he said. And at what point is enough enough? I, I, I just cannot, and I mean that, um, fathom what is going forward there. I really can't. I just think it absolutely is ludicrous that we are taking all these people out of and branches out of these rural towns and not making any replacement. Not everybody, not everybody has the internet and knows how to do internet banking. Beep Australia, one year away. Uh, I'll be going to the launch next year. And t- yesterday marked the 12 months, exactly 12 months to Beef 2024 uh, gets underway in Rockhampton. The 5th of May uh, to the 11th. Wow. Um, we, we'll talk to Bryce Cam yeah, next week, but it has just got better and better and better and better, and this is just awesome. Uh, Federal Ag Minister Murray Watt, um, he joined the Beef Australia Board uh, this week to mark that, and look, it's going to be a hell of an investment and one that we should be able to showcase. So looking forward to seeing everything involved in that. Next, we've got uh, Magic Round coming up, and boy, oh boy, aren't we all excited. We will look at that as we get to the Rugby League section of our show. This is Friday morning on Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin, the 5th of May across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Thursday morning, the 4th of May with Ben Dobbin, and Kim McDonnell is from Thank You for Farmers. Kim, good morning. Thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure, Ben, and thank you so much for having me as a guest today. I love this. This is an Australian first, um, mental health on the land. We we know now that one in five rural and regional Australians experience mental illness, Like and, and now we are finally starting to see some traction. Are the government spending enough money in this fiend? I don't believe so, but we are raising awareness and it's becoming now um, an issue that we have to address. It's like everything else, like we, we want to put money into, the mental health and well-being of 
rural Australians is absolutely critical. Now, the resource dedicated um, now entirely to primary producers launches has launched in Queensland. This is just quite special, isn't it? It's really special and thankful for farmers was delighted to be able to provide a grant to the Royal Flying Doctor Service here in Queensland who do such incredible work supporting the health and wellness of people right across Queensland from you know the far north corner right down to the um, furthest southwest corner um, within Queensland. And yeah. we, they came to us with a grant application about creating this resource to really be able to give people in rural and regional Queensland access to material that would help them um, with their health and well-being. So it's a wonderful resource. What makes it incredibly special is the fact that it's been written by frontline clinicians as well who deal on a daily basis with people in these communities so really understand the challenges that are being faced. So talk to me about um, how this works and, and, and how Thankful for Farmers came about. Um, obviously, we understand the trials and tribulations, but it's it's one thing to have um, the Australian first, and, and but how do then you implement it and then have the thank of the government who have given you some funding for this? So this was funded um, solely by Thankful for Farmers, and the way Thankful for Farmers works is we partner with brands and corporations and organisations who are committed to supporting Australian agriculture and regional and rural communities. So we're a private organisation. So no government funding um, at all? No government funding at wow. all. Wow. Um, for this, yeah, we funded it purely with all of our corporate and brand partners and um, on a daily basis. And how that works basically is that these organisations and brands have said that, yes, they are committed to supporting regional and rural Australia. So they um, put our Thankful for Farmers logo on their product or their service or they offer um, sponsorship of which then from all of that product money um, we, goes into our Thankful Foundation and 90 cents in every dollar that we receive through those product foundations is then allocated to grants to organisations who are addressing systemic challenges in regional and rural Australia. So when we called for grant applications and the Queensland Rural Flying Doctor Service applied for a grant for this specific initiative, we were absolutely delighted to be able to provide that grant because we know the impact it can have on so many people's lives. And we know the desperate need for it. You mentioned one in five people in rural Australia and rural Queensland suffer some form of mental health and wellness challenge. But to be able to access the resources they need and the services they need for that support is increasingly more challenging for them. So this book is their first point of call. Um, so it's, it's yeah, we're very proud of it. Oh, oh, it, it is just awesome. Um, it, it is just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, thing. And, and it's something that I don't think people fully understand the magnitude of it. Um, thankful for farmers is it, it, it is impactful. How do we look? We're rural, and this is going rural. But one thing we do is we want to look after our own, and it, it is so important. I understand. I've lost so many friends uh, to mental illness in the bush for different reasons. Some I can't explain. Some I've tried to get some understanding. Some are a shadow of themselves through drought, hardship, financial pressures, marriage breakdowns, you name it, the loss of children. You know, there's so many factors that people have to contribute in the bush. How do we help? How do we look after and make sure that Thankful for Farmers continues? 
Thank you, Ben. We appreciate that. Um, so, how can you help? You can, um, you know, thankful dot thankfulforfarmers dot com dot au is um, up and running, and you can check out our website. You can support by looking out for those brands um, and products on your supermarket shelves that do have the Thankful for Farmers logo um, on it, and purchase those funds because every single time you purchase one of those, you're helping to support us um, through funding that we get from those. Um, partners that we have and you can help us amplify the narrative as well because I think one of the things that really drives Thankful for Farmers is that we're trying to change the narrative around farming and agriculture and people in regional and rural Australia because every single day, at least three times a day, we need a farmer. Um, And if you think about two of the biggest challenges in the world right now being climate change and food security. And sitting at the heart of that solution are the hardworking men and women on the land who work tirelessly to put food on our tables, but they're also frontline environmentalists and they take that responsibility incredibly seriously and work incredibly hard to um, nurture and regenerate um, the land as well. So just acknowledging where our food has come from and valuing the process that it takes and the people that um, grow our food, I think is a huge step in supporting Thankful for farmers, but also supporting um, those hardworking men and women across the country who who are our farmers and who do work so hard to put food on our table. There is so much that I love about this. It is not funny. I mean, everything, and it speaks of the people that are on your board and who are aligned with you. Um, from like uh, you, you just talked about us being environmentalists. You, you couldn't have said it any better. And. And we need to, and we need to sell this message. I mean, um, for those wanting to understand, you need to go to the website. Uh, thankful for farmers, and your team is, you know, and your advisory council as such is quite unbelievable. Like there are the Ag Force Worlds there, uh, the Charlie Arnotts. Um, there, there is some unbelievable minds a part of this, which bodes well uh, moving forward. So you've donated to the Royal Flying Doctor Service. They saved my life. I can't ever, you know, they saved my life out of Roma. I I still remember it at this day. It was 20 years ago, but I'm forever thankful for it. Now, there's obviously a lot of other areas. So so where to then, Kim? What's next? So um, thankful for farmers. We have three key areas that we're incredibly passionate about supporting and advocating and uh, amplifying awareness. So the three key focus areas for thankful for farmers is the farm. So how can we help our agricultural community and our farmers practice climate smart agriculture and understand it? Um, The second is the farmer, so the health and wellness of our farmers to ensure that um, there's generational farming in the future and that we have farmers in the future. And obviously mental health and wellness is a huge factor, but other disease states like cardiovascular disease is another um, area where there's a much higher incidence in regional and rural Australia than there are um, across the rest of Australia as well. So the whole health and wellness of our farmers is something that we're very passionate about. And the third area that we're focused on is um, ensuring that regional and rural communities have everything um, that they need from an infrastructure and resource perspective to be able to thrive because we know if they're not thriving, our agricultural sector can't possibly thrive either. So we're working on a number of different initiatives um, from helping with address the skilled labour shortage which we know is impacting um, regional and rural Australia um, as well. And we've just allocated um, and we'll be announcing our next round of grants 
that we've allocated to continue to support various initiatives that address systemic issues. One of the key points of difference from Thankful for Farmers is that we provide grants to address those systemic issues but so that we can actually help solve a problem rather than trying to put another Band-Aid um, on a problem. We're, we're passionate about fixing, helping to try and fix and solve those problems. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I, I strongly ask everybody listening to us today, thankfulforfarmers.com.au, uh, this needs to go mainstream. Uh, Kim McDonald, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, it, it, just awesome. And people should be donating. And, and just what a an awesome organisation this is. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. And thank you for donating and obviously making a contribution to such an important organisation like the RFDS. Uh, just does not get any better than that. Uh, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much. Good on you. Uh, Kim McDonald, Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. We'll take a break, come back with more. Friday morning, Rural Queensland Today. And I, look, the weekend, we love rugby league. I know Queensland loves rugby league. This is this is the grand poobah for Brisbane. Magic round kicks off tonight. Chief league writer, sometimes chief stirrer, uh, is the lead sports writer, Peter Bedell. He joins us. Hello, Pedro. How are you, mate? <laughs> If I'm the chief stirrer, Dob, or you're the chief stirrer, but either way, we cause carnage along the way, mate. Um, Kevin Walters, uh, the back page reads this morning, and, and we'll get into Magic Round, that, that he wasn't there yesterday. Now, the line is from Brisbane that he's got the flu. How serious is this? I know that there's certain journalists, there's, there is a lot of COVID round at the moment. I, God, I hate that word, but, you know, like I, I know one journalist is stuck on the Gold Coast with it. Um, there is a flu going through Brisbane at the moment. Is it anything to be worried about for the Broncos tonight? Well, potentially, Dobbo. I mean, look, Kevy, as you know, I can't recall him ever missing a training session, Dobbo. In the time that he's been there as coach, almost three years, I've never seen Kevy miss a session. So I, I turned up to training on Thursday and so Kevy wasn't there and it came as a bit of a shock. And uh, like John Cartwright did the press conference, his assistant, and he said at the press conference that Kevy was quite crook. He called him on Wednesday night to say, Tardy, you're taking the reins at training. And now it's not COVID. He's been cleared of that. But I'm hearing he has, has a bad case of the flu. And if that's the case, Dobbo, I mean, I, I don't know how he recovers, recovers in 24 hours to take his place in the coaching box. However, I know he was wary of passing it on to the players yesterday at training. The last thing they needed was more Broncos players to miss the game. So... I, I think Kevy will be there. He'll just be in the coaching box, but he probably won't want to get too close to his players because they can't afford a, a flu scare at this time of the year. No, just about as the season turns, you're 100% right. Pete, Magic Round, um, one of the great spectacles, um, but it will be without Peter Volandis, who has flown to the USA. Um, is that to try and shore up this opening round uh, in Las Vegas next year? Well, multifaceted, Dobbo. So he was primarily going over there in his role with New South Wales Racing. Apparently, he's going to the Kentucky Derby. He's got some meetings with, with racing authorities over there. But as an extension of that, he's using the trip as a chance to also meet with some US delegates and stakeholders to look into having the season opener for the NRL next season in Las Vegas. Now, what what an opportunity this is for Rugby League. They'll have a double header there. There's a push from Philandis and the Aral Commission to do that. They need to work out who the four teams will be. But I think I think you can lock it in. I think it's a, I think it's a certainty it will happen, and it it will give the NRL a chance not only to attract the new market of fans, but they want to move into the US betting market, and they feel that 
if they can open the doors to US fans, and we know they love their sports in America, there's 300 million Americans, then they can start betting on rugby league, and that can be a money spinner for rugby league. So it's not a bad strategic plan, and it could deliver easy millions of dollars for the NRL. Yeah, and that's the big thing. Um, there's no two ways about it. You're dead right. And and from that perspective, it's a very, very good thing. Um, I, I am, though, concerned, though, who goes? I mean, which four teams? Every team wants to go. And, you know, the possibilities of potentially unlocking that player development market, you know, opinions are conflicted on it. There's no two ways about it. But... They look like you know there is obviously a market there that could be a long term a long term play. Well, it's funny, Dobbo. I spoke to the great Wayne Bennett yesterday. He wants to go to Sydney. He doesn't drink. He doesn't gamble. He doesn't smoke. But even Wayne wants to go to Vegas. He loves it. So that's very um, funny. <laughs> but look, Dobbo. I think of the four. I wrote a story today. I spoke to Peter Blanchard, who said that they do want a Queensland flavour. So. I wouldn't be surprised, Dobbo, if there's at least one Queensland team going. I think it would probably be the Broncos, given that they're one of the most recognisable brands in Australian sport. They've been the richest club in the league for a long time. Lachlan Murdoch, of course, the media mogul with, with News Corp in America for a long time. He's a Broncos fan. So I'd be stunned if they're not one team. And then I think, Dobbo, you'll probably get some of the powerhouses in Sydney, like the Roosters, South Sydney. They, they're a famous brand. They probably will go... And I'd even consider taking maybe Dobbo. I mean, I'd, I'd consider Dobbo taking the grand finalists from later this year. So, like, say it's Penrith and the Roosters, I think you take those two teams. You have a bit of a uh, a grand final rematch. Um, Correct. Over there. Yeah, I mean, and that, you know, that really makes a lot of sense to me. So, moving forward, that, that would make a lot of sense. Magic round, Pete. It starts with Canberra taking on the Bulldogs and then the Broncos take on Manly. The Dolphins will take on the Sharks. That's tomorrow's game. And then the Titans play Parramatta in the last. That's the four Queensland. But there's some very interesting complexities. And But what it does is literally Brisbane is Rugby League Central and it's the party town from sort of today onwards. Oh, it's always a fantastic weekend. I mean, traditionally more than 130,000 fans packed into Suncorp over the three days. It generates millions for the economy. And, and I think, Dobbo, for me, I just hope it stays in Queensland because the, the contract ends next year and there has been some talk that they will use Magic Ground a bit of a, as a bit of a Super Bowl concept where they move it around to other states. And I know Sydney are keen to have Magic Ground, but oh, I'd be sad to see Magic Ground leave Brisbane, Dobbo. I honestly think it's the best market for the concept that Sydney gets enough rugby league games. And I just don't think it would work in other markets like Melbourne or Perth, for example, just to the same degree. I mean, Queensland has millions of fans that love rugby league. It's a heartland up here. And I, I just think it should stay for life at Suncorp Stadium, which is one of the best stadiums in world sport. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. I don't believe that it's going to in any way go, surely. Well, Dobbo, I know Sydney's dead keen. I mean, and if the New South Wales government are prepared to tip in massive dollars to get the event, which is a huge money spinner corporately and economically for, for any state, I think it's a genuine consideration for the commission. I mean, they'll look to monetize Magic Around and make as much as they can, but I just hope that Peter Valianis remembers the faith of the Queensland government during COVID. I'm sure he will. And I just think the magic is always there at Suncorp Stadium. The Brisbane win tonight, Pete? Oh, absolutely, Dobbo. I think they should be the favourites. I mean, Manly are 
are a different team without the Trebojevic brothers. They're, that's, they're, they're, that's a massive double blow. And I think if Brisbane are fair income about winning the competition this year, they have to beat Manly without those players. If they can't beat Manly without the Turbo boys, then I think alarm bells are ringed for the Broncos. Yeah, I think you're dead right as well. Uh, there's lots going on, and it's huge. The Broncos take on Manly tonight. You'll hear that here on Resonate. Peter Bedell, Chief League Rider for the Courier Mail. As usual, thanks so much for being with us. Enjoy your weekend, mate. I know it's a bit uh, a busy one. Um, we'll catch up shortly, mate. Um, and uh, appreciate your time this morning on rural Queensland today. No worries, Dobbo. Any time, buddy. Good on you, mate. Uh, that's it uh, from us here. We're going to take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland Today, Friday morning, the 5th of May. You're with Ben Dobbin across Rural Queensland Today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today. Magic Ground getting underway this afternoon. Um, the Bulldogs taking on the Canberra Raiders and then the Broncos taking on Manly. It's a huge weekend in Brisbane. It's a huge weekend in the bush as well. So many events taking place. Have a great weekend. The best of is on tomorrow. We're back from 9am. No more public holidays for a while, thank God. As we march towards winter, how did we get this far into the year so quickly? So much to get through. Enjoy your weekend. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. Ray Hadley joins you next. This is Ben Dobbin from Rural Queensland Today. We'll see you on Monday. Till next time, it's bye for now.